Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover Podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. Today we are going to talk about something close to my heart and something else that is not always enjoyable, but it's necessary. Allison King, my guest today, is a copy editor at DAC Group. She also owns Copy Edit Queen, King Career Services. In middle school, she was dubbed the Grammar Queen. She was a sought-out peer review partner because she would catch every error. I can relate to this. I have always enjoyed grammar and spelling. I proofread a lot of papers in college. We probably won't be diagramming any sentences here today, but one never knows. Allison uses her writing skills in her freelance business, writing resumes, cover letters, LinkedIn profiles, etc. Whether you are job hunting or not, these are living documents that need regular maintenance. I love good tips on how I can make my resume even more robust. Allison, welcome to the Librarian Linkover. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Tell us about your work as a copy editor and what kinds of projects you take on. Sure. So my copy editing career sort of almost began in college and undergrad because I was a writing tutor and I would spend all my extra hours in the writing center because I just loved it so much. So then after I graduated from college, I was always kind of chasing that high of being able to help people with their writing, but just didn't really have an opportunity besides in my day jobs at libraries where my bosses would always have me edit their important emails and communications to make sure there was nothing, you know, glaringly wrong in them. Um, but at one point in about 2017, I just kind of was online Googling and thinking like, how can I actually turn this into something that I get to do more? This editing thing that I've always been good at, really love doing, really love help people, helping people in that way. So I Googled something like, what kind of job lets you edit for a living? And it's so weird to think that I never even thought of this as being like an actual career, but editors, there are tons of different editors and the type of editing that I really like is copy editing. So it's not just proofreading where you're like typo hunting and things like that. It's also kind of looking at the whole sentence, the whole sentence within the paragraph, the whole document and making sure that things are consistent, terms are consistent throughout, um, that there's you know little to no redundancy, all that sort of thing. So that's what I found out is an actual job that people make actual money doing. And so I thought, <laughs> oh, I want to do that too. So um, I just kind of started out with editing some dissertations for students. And because I was working at Drexel University Libraries um, shortly before this, I had some connections with the librarians there. So they would send some of their students to me who needed some help with editing. And so that's how I kind of got my start. So um, Fast forward a few years after that, I am now a copy editor at a digital marketing agency. And it's my first full-time copy editing job, which I've only been in for about four months, but really love and very happy to be doing. Um, and so I mostly edit social media captions now. Um, I have a team of eight writers who write a lot of content for one of our big anchor clients. And I edit it for clarity, consistency, accuracy, tone of voice, and also compliance, which is very big in the industry that we're in specifically, which mm -hmm. is related to insurance. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. Why do you think writing, copy editing, and proofreading are skills that many librarians enjoy? So I think the more that you read, the more that you get a sense of what kind of sounds natural to the reader. Um, the best editors I found are invisible. So we're not trying to make huge changes to what the writer wrote. We're just trying to make sure that's going to be clear and easy for the reader to take in or enjoyable for them to take in, depending on whether we're talking fiction or nonfiction. I mostly do nonfiction. So that's what I kind of think about. Um, I think that librarians who enjoy research and fact-checking would also really like um, editing or my type of copy editing, because like even in my full-time job now, I'm doing social media, which doesn't sound, you know, all that like intense or anything. But um, if we're doing something like a Motivation Monday where there's a quote and it's attributed to somebody, I always check to make sure that it's attributed to the right person because often it is not. If you look on the internet, pretty much everything is attributed to Maya Angelou and she did not say absolutely everything that's on the internet. Um, <laughs> she said a lot, but probably not everything. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, fun fact Friday, I'll look up every fact and make sure, is that actually a fact? Mm, sometimes it's not. And then it's not just telling the writers like, no, you're wrong, fix it. But it's also saying, 
hey, I found this kind of similar fact. What do you think about using that instead? So kind of doing that whole collaboration, being helpful. Um, it's it's like another form of information seeking in some ways in that aspect of the job. Um, and the, the other thing I would say is that not everyone who's a big grammar nerd is necessarily going to make um, a great editor. Um, you kind of just have to be a very collaborative person. Um, I'm a partner to my writers and I wanna give them kind feedback that actually helps them write a little bit better. So it's about more than just finding the errors. It's also going beyond that. But um, if that sounds like anything that people are interested in, then you might want to look at copy editing. That's good. That's interesting. Um, have you always been entrepreneurial or did you find that from working in libraries? I never really thought of myself as entrepreneurial growing up. Um, I knew from when I was 16, basically, that I was going to be a librarian because that's when I got my first library job as a page at the Penguin Library in Wynwood. And um, so I knew that libraries were in the cards. However, I also kind of knew like it probably wasn't going to be a forever job just because unlike you, I knew I didn't want to be like an admin. I didn't want to be a head librarian. At some point I was going to max out what I wanted to do in libraries. Um, so interestingly, my boss at the Penguin Library, Judy Saray, at one point she said, you know, Allison, you're really good at editing. You're really good at like marketing because I was in charge of like all the events and making flyers and they always had lots of puns in them and I was always trying to figure out like what our neighborhood really needed. Um, so she said, you know, you should work in marketing, you should work in copy editing. I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then I just didn't know how to make that all come together. Um, but once I, as I told you, I learned copy editing was an actual career. I also realized that I was going to need to do it on my own time so that I could build up a portfolio. So I think that's really important whenever you're looking to change jobs, you kind of have to have some proof that you can do what you're trying to convince them you can do. Um, so it was just at nights, on weekends, um, finding those clients through my connections. Um, at first it was mostly for fun and fulfillment, but then I realized I could actually make some money doing it. And that kind of like spurred me on and made me think, oh, okay, I could actually make a business out of this and not just be like a every now and then freelance gig kind of person. And that eventually led to the resume writing side of my business too, but we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about that later too. Oh, well, I've worked in libraries for over 20 years. I've worked in uh, special libraries, public libraries, economic libraries. I have rarely had to do any kind of writing of any consequence. Uh, my writing has mostly been like short answers in emails, explaining the results of my research or an update on a project in a board packet for trustee meeting. Um, it's interesting how sometimes in job hunting, they want writing samples or presentation. And I've never done any, like I don't really know anyone who does presentations in their job as a librarian necessarily, like come up with a topic and write a presentation or even writing samples. Um, so if, for those of us who may wanna brush up on grammar and word usage, what kind of resources do you suggest? Well, as with anything, it depends on how into it you wanna get. So I'd say base level, if you're just looking to make sure that you are emails are making sense and that, you know, things are just generally looking good, you know, when you're sending emails to people, things like that. Um, Microsoft Word, I'll always go to spell check. Even as a professional editor, I'm gonna spell check things because sometimes it catches things that I don't. Um, Grammarly is a tool that you might wanna look into. We do use Grammarly at my work, mostly for catching compliance sort of things. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of it because it can get very overcorrective and like too proper of grammar, which sometimes makes it just sound very unnatural in the context that we're working in. You know, context is really important with editing. I wouldn't edit a dissertation the same way I would a social media post. So, um, so that's one thing that I use. Um, you know, part of being a good editor is knowing the rules, but then also knowing when it's good to break them and when it's like okay to break them. Like if I send you an email, I'm probably going to have some prepositions at the end of sentences. And it's not the end of the world because I've decided that it's not the end of the world. It's <laughs> how we speak, right? Um, so that's one thing. Um, I'd say also I'm a huge fan of the read aloud function on Microsoft Word. And I don't know if everybody knows about this, but in the review tab, there is a button that says read aloud. And it reads it aloud to you kind of in a robotic voice, but I do find that it's very helpful for catching some errors just when I'm looking at the screen for too long. Um, my number one tip is to print it out 
because you will always find errors when it's on a page um, as opposed to on the screen and even better to read it aloud or have someone else read it aloud if you have that option. Um, if you really want to get into um, the nitty gritty of things, the New York Times does have a column called Copy Edit This, and it's um, basically a 10 question quiz. And you could just go through and, you know, answer where you think the error is in the sentence. And these are all based on actual errors that have been in their articles and things like that. I will give the caveat that it is AP style, which is not a style that I knew anything about until I took a class of it a couple months ago. So if you're an MLA or an APA person, you might look at it and think they're wrong about that one. But, you know, if you just want a little practice, that's fine. And then if anybody's listening to this and thinking, oh, copy editing might actually be for me or editing might be for me, um, I highly recommend the program that I went through, which was through um, UC San Diego, the extension program. And it's um, a copy editing certificate program. And one of the main courses that I took for that was Grammar Lab, which was basically like being back at school and learning all the grammar things and diagramming sentences, which believe it or not, I'm actually really terrible at. <laughs> But um, so disappointing, but Allison. So yeah, disappointing. I know, I know. Well, <laughs> we, can't, we can't be everything to everyone. But um, <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, that all really helped me just going through that program because I've always had the instincts as far as grammar and as far as what sounds right to me. But that also kind of helped me to be able to articulate exactly what's going on in a sentence and what could be changed to make it more clear to the intended audience. Oh, and one uh, other I'll put thing, a link. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, one other thing. If you want a book, um, the Copy Editor's Handbook and Workbook by Amy Einstone, E-I-N-S-O-H-N, is essential for anyone who wants to be a copy editor. Um, I will link to these things in the show notes. Sure. The book and the UC San Diego program. What are some common grammar mistakes you see in your copy editing work? So it really depends on the type of document. Um, in the social media copy that I edit pretty much every day now, it's usually misplaced modifiers and things like that. Um, so for example, they might write a call to action that says like, let us know your favorite vacation spot in the comments. Like vacation spot in the comments. It kind of sounds like the vacation spot is in the comments. <laughs> of course we know that it's not, okay? Of course, anybody reading that is going to be able to figure out like, they want me to write in the comments what my favorite vacation spot is. But that's where I would just like slip in, you know, how about we change it to let us know um, in the comments what your favorite vacation spot is. So just like little things like that, that, you know, it may not feel like it's a big deal, but especially with social media copy, when people are skimming and scrolling so quickly, you want to make it as user friendly to read as possible and hopefully stop their scroll. So that's kind of the idea behind that. Um, other than that, I see a lot of comma splices. So if you need a reminder of what that is, it's when you have two full independent sentences um, that are put together with a comma, which is incorrect. It should actually be like a comma conjunction or a semicolon or just make them two sentences. So that's some of the stuff that I see a lot. Um, honestly, the more interesting things for me to fix have to do with redundancy because then I have to kind of think about like other words that might mean the same thing. Um, or just fixing up awkward phrasing because that all requires a bit more strategy. So that's kind of the stuff that I like to do more. That comma thing seems to be very popular recently. I've noticed it. Yeah. With like, it's a period, not a comma. Comma is not a period. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think just some people, it just doesn't click for them and like, all right, well, keeps me in business, so fine. <laughs> <laughs> so switching to your other hat, Tell us about your career services business and what you offer to your clients. Sure. So my career services business was born out of the copy editing business by mistake, fell into it um, <laughs> because a friend asked me to edit her resume that she was going to submit. And at first I said, oh, yeah, sure, easy. And then I realized because, you know, being a librarian, I Googled it a little bit to see like what's going on in the resume world these days and realized, oh, no, I can't just edit this like I would anything else. This isn't entirely different field of writing. It has its own rules. It has its own strategy and its own technique. And as I fell into it more, I was like, oh, I actually really like this. This is a great way for me to combine my writing skills with wanting to help people and just like that strategic writing. So 
it, it kind of became something that I was, um, you know, very interested in. Um, so about a little over almost two years ago, actually, now I started and I just kind of like jumped into it full force. Um, I write resumes, LinkedIn profiles, cover letters, bios, and basically anything that you might need for your job search or your career. Um, and it's cool because I've done it for all different industries. So I love working with librarians, of course, but I can write a resume for anybody, even if I don't really understand their industry or their job. Um, I just kind of ask them a bunch of questions, almost like a reference interview in some ways. And I do some research on my own, just to kind of get the terminology, kind of understand like what they're talking about generally. But basically when I ask them enough questions about how they've kind of had an impact for each of their employers, I get enough information that I can then write for them. I'm ghostwriting as them. And that's kind of what I do. Um, and it's, it's really, really fun. And uh, so that's kind of what I've been up to recently, more so with the freelance kind of things. When I talk with student groups, a question I often get is, what exactly do I need to put in my cover letter that will get me a job? And there is no answer. I mean, they're always disappointed because there isn't one you know, particular answer. There are so many moving parts to job hunting. So what kinds of questions do your clients ask when they're looking for someone to help them with their resume and other job hunting documents? Yeah, before I answer about the questions I get, I'd love to just like talk a little bit about cover letters. So of course, I'm, I love cover letters and I think they are a really great opportunity that a lot of people miss to add something extra to your application, um, but you kind of have to know how to do it. Um, so, and I will also say that a lot of hiring managers say they never even look at the cover letter, but usually if they're asking for one, there's a good chance that they're going to read it. And if they're going to read it, then you want something beyond the templated normal, like. I'm writing to express my interest in the blah, blah, blah position at blah, blah, blah. You'll see from my experience in blah, blah, blah. I'm a hard worker, like all these things that don't really mean anything. So ultimately, you know, what we want to be looking for, what we want to do with the, the resume, the cover letter, everything is present you as the solution to your employer's problem. So they have a problem, they have a need. That's why they're hiring someone. Okay. And so you want to show that you are the solution to that problem because you have solved similar problems to the ones that they have in the past. So one of the ways that I do that in a cover letter is to basically three paragraphs. First paragraph, you kind of acknowledge what kind of issues they might deal with, okay? And then also express your interest in the position, mean the position. And then in the next paragraph, you're just going to pick a maybe three things, okay? Three things that you have identified that are problems for them, that they are interested in finding someone who can solve. And then you give one two, to two sentences of each, just, you know, here's how I've solved a similar problem of efficiency, of communication, of, you know, reference services, whatever the case may be. And then the final paragraph, just kind of reiterating your interest and also asking for the interview. So this is all one page, it's very short, and it's not intended to be your life story. Notice nowhere did I say that you tell them your entire career story in the cover letter. You don't. That's in the resume, mostly what they need to know. And then the cover letter is just another chance to kind of show them what, like, oh, she has personality. Oh, she has done some stuff before. Oh, we want to meet this person, you know? So that's kind of what we go for with the cover letter. So with that, um, some other questions I get, and I'll just give you like real quick answers to these. Um, can my resume be more than one page? A lot of times you'll see these days that people just have a one pager. In fact, most people should be two. If you have a career greater than five years or so, you probably need a two. If you're going for admin, maybe three, but in most cases, two is going to be fine for a resume. And I should say this is uh, not for CVs for academic, because I know we might have some academic librarians, but so those are slightly different roles. But about, we're just talking standard resume, two pages, that will usually be about what you need. Um, another question I get is, how do I write accomplishments instead of duties? You've probably heard this if you've been job searching anytime soon. You do not want to put under each job every single little thing that you've ever done, like answered the phones, you know, like stuff like that, because it's all part of the job. They know what, you know, a children's services librarian is supposed to do. 
But what they're actually looking for is what did you do in your last job that left it a better place? What did you create? What would you be remembered for? Those are the things that lead to your accomplishments. And those are the things that show your next employer that they want you. You are special. They want promise you you do you just kind of have to think about it a little bit maybe ask some friends maybe ask some former coworkers. be like hey what did I create there you know and then you'll you'll kind of get to it and you only need three to five per job so this is not like a huge huge ask um and one final question I get you know does my resume have to be black and white and boring no and actually it shouldn't be so I'm not saying go to Canva and use one of those crazy templates that has all these icons and your picture on it <laughs> Side note, never put your picture on your resume, not in the United States, because it's actually going to potentially lead to bias and discrimination. We don't want that. And some employers are so serious about that that they will kind of throw out your application because they don't want to be impacted by bias. So don't use a Canva template. However, what you can do is add some color. So professional experience, volunteer work, all those headings, put it in a different color because you know, just from reading things, it's easier to read when the headings are a different color. It's easier to skim. So we wanna make the resume really easy to read, really easy to skim, and using a little pop of color can actually do that really well for you. I'm glad you thought about the cover letter because I think their traditional thinking is you have to address everything in the job description in the cover letter. And sometimes job descriptions have 79 bullet points. So you're, you're kind of writing a thesis of libraries just to write a cover letter. So I, I, I like your suggestions of to pick top three things that you know show off what you can do. Yeah, and it's really just a preview. It, you don't have to give it all away then because, and you don't want to give it all away then because they want enough reason to bring you in for an interview. And that's when you share a little bit more about what you can do. So how is a resume for a librarian looking to move up in her library different from a librarian who wants to move out of libraries? So here's actually a kind of interesting answer. They're not that different. So either way, you are going to look at the job description and you're going to let it guide you, okay? The job description is the answer key. That's one of my big, big things. It's going to tell you what the employer is looking for. And it might even tell you some of the issues that they're facing, like, you know, we just opened a new branch or, you know, we, um, our college added a new program and now we need somebody who can kind of help with that. It might hint at some of those things and when it does, that's fantastic because it gives you some insight. It might also not, because I'm sure we've all seen those job um, descriptions where it's like, you know, the city of Philadelphia is hiring for 22 librarians of this type. And that's like basically all they tell you. So that's when you do have to use your research skills a little bit. You do have to connect with people a little bit and see, okay, do I know anybody who works in that system or know somebody who knows somebody? Or can I just go on LinkedIn, find somebody and who's been active on LinkedIn recently and just kind of send them a message and say, hey, I'm interested in this position. And I just want to ask you a quick thing about, you know, this very specific thing, not a huge ask, just, you know, like, oh, this new program that um, the Philadelphia libraries are introducing. Could you tell me about what your part of that is, like what you do for that? Just like a very small ask. So you want to do your research so that we can kind of get some intel about what they're dealing with. And then, of course, you're going to use that all as you go through. But going back to the job description, the job description has keywords. And we all know about keywords from being librarians. So what are the things that keep coming up? What are the things that are near the top? Okay. So those are our hints for what they're really looking for. Okay. If they mention, you know, several times that this person has to do presentations, then put that on your list. Okay, presentations. That's a really important thing for them. When have I done presentations? And maybe it hasn't been huge presentations. Maybe it's just been presentations to your staff, but it doesn't matter because the process is the same. To do a presentation, you have to assess what the learning needs are. You have to think about your audience. You have to develop the mode of presentation. You have to practice and do all those things. So those are all things that you can kind of put together for how you can show that you have done the thing that they're asking you to do. Um, and I can just give you a couple little examples from my own resume because I sort of allude to this, but you know, I've only been in my copy editing job for about four months. Before that, I was a middle school librarian. 
and before that public library and a bunch of other library jobs. So I have had a career shift recently and I have had to do that kind of career shift resume. So um, for example, um, proofreading reviews. So that was one of the keywords in a job that I was going for. And I thought, okay, well, I've done proofreading for all my former bosses for their emails. So what that looked like was polished emails and communications at manager's request, approximately three plus monthly, to confirm that text was accurate, consistent, and clear to intended audience, enhancing department's reputation. That was one of my accomplishment goals. So it kind of tells you, here's what I did, here's a little bit of how I did it, and here's why it was important. So that's, you know, one example. Um, you know, and like, instead of like managed staff, which is something that a lot of people just put on theirs, um, I managed and trained 12 plus teenage slash college age part-time workers by coordinating hiring, designing training programs, supervising and correcting work, and encouraging staff to contribute through their unique talents. So I'm not just saying that I manage people, I'm kind of giving a little bit of my management style as well. So, um, so yeah, so either way, whether you are going for a job within libraries or outside of libraries, look at those keywords, figure out what you've done that's similar, and then write your accomplishments to express that. Do you see any patterns in resumes or cover letters that you're hired to rework? Or I guess what I'm saying is, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, so for your best chances, your resume and your documents want to be targeted to the position that you want. That's the first thing, targeted to the position that you want, not what you've been doing before this, but the one that you want. So if you've never been a director before, but you're going for a director position, you are targeting your experience towards that director position. Okay, we're looking forward. The other thing is that it's branded with your unique value proposition. And this is the part that most people never think of. Okay, but Lorene, the way that you do your work is different than the way that somebody else would in your same position. Okay, there are certain things about you that just make you different than somebody else. And it's not one way that's better or whatever, but it's different. So you bring a unique sense of you to your job. So that's what we try to get across in the documents. Um, so here are some of the things that I see that are patterns of what we get wrong. And remember, I am not judging because I was doing all this wrong before I became a resume writer. So, you know, it's not something we have to do all that often, thankfully. And so the fact that none of us feel very good or confident at it, it's very natural. So one thing is that, you know, big mistake, and I've said this over and over, is focusing on you instead of the employer's needs, okay? Your job search is a little bit about you, but it's more about what they need and showing that you are what they need. But you have to know they're what they need and you have to be able to express how what you've done is relevant to that. Um, another one is writing a career obituary or a list of duties, which we talked about. Career obituary, meaning you don't have to put every job you've ever had on your resume. They're not all relevant. Okay, we only want the relevant stuff. So typically, I leave on about 10 to 15 years of past experience if it's relevant. And if it's not, then it doesn't need to be on there. Okay. Um, and that includes also like little stints of unemployment, things like that. You know, we don't need to bring attention to it unless you want to. Um, another one is not connecting the dots. Okay. So we're using the keywords from the job description and what we know about the industry. But especially with a career switch, you have to be able to show them that you can do the job. So, you know, a lot of times we say and we hear that like, oh, if they only give me a chance, then I know that I could do the job. But if you're not being specific enough in your accomplishments to show them that like, you know, again, like with my, um, my example about like presentations, okay? If they're looking at me as a librarian and I'm going for a job that's like in communications or something, they might not see that connection, okay? Even in my interviewing, when I was interviewing for non-library jobs, a lot of people were like, oh, you get to work with books all day. People still don't know what we do. And that's fine. I mean, we don't have to know everything about everybody's job, but when you are trying to get the job, you do have to say, oh, actually, you know, it's not about books. It's about so much more than that. And then you tell them a little bit about what you actually do and how that relates. And then once they, once you connect the dots for them, they're like, oh, okay, I see. That's very similar. So, you know, that's something to consider too. 
Um, a big one is just an outdated format. You know, if you have an objective on your resume, then it's outdated. Objectives were big, you know, 10 longer years ago. If that's the part where you would say, I'm looking for a job that allows me to use my skills in thus and such to do whatever. And the thing about an objective is that it's all about me. It's not about the employer, okay? So the employer, you know, as much as you might not want to hear it, the employer wants to know what's in it for them. So if you switch that around, if you just say like, I am, you know, a library professional with 10 plus years creating engaging programs for um, children ages birth through 18 that address their, you know, social, emotional needs, whatever, I'm just off the top of my head here. But that tells me, that tells them a lot more about what you can do, not just, you know, what you want to do. Um, obviously you want the job, otherwise you wouldn't be applying for it. So they know that. <laughs> um, and then I think the last thing, and it's uh, expecting the resume or the LinkedIn profile or whatever it may be to do the work for you. So I'm saying this as a resume writer. Resume writing is, a hiring resume writer is a really good investment. However, it's not the end of the story. I always tell my clients like, I'm giving you this, but you have to go do the rest of it, okay? It may help you get in the door, but what's gonna help you more is if you can connect with people at that target organization or company, is if you can you know, kind of use your connections or just like I said, go on LinkedIn, find somebody who works at the company and just take a chance, send them a message and see if they respond. And you know, usually I'll just kind of do like, a, um, you know, uh, hi, I saw that you work at ABC Library and I read in an article on your website about how your department has been revamping reference services for the public. I'm applying for the reference librarian position. If you have a minute, I was wondering what you like best about the community where the library is located. Thank you so much and have a great day. Notice I'm not asking them to recommend me for the job. I'm not even asking them to like give me a ton of information about the job, but I did this in my own job search. And what I found was that people, a lot of people who responded wanted to tell me more. They wanted to tell me not just about my question about like the neighborhood. They wanted to tell me a little bit more about how the library operates, maybe some backstory. And that all helped me so that, that I could then, you know, use that information in my interviews and things like that without mentioning them, but just kind of like showing that I kind of like understand what's going on there. Um, so, you know, the, a good resume will help you, but it's by far not the only thing. This is unfortunately a full-time job, job hunting, but if you do it strategically, then it can really help you to get the job that you want quicker and to really enjoy it once you're there because you know that it's a better fit. Um, you mentioned about um, like periods of unemployment to not emphasize those. Um, employers seem to be afraid of candidates who have gaps in their work history, and there can be many reasons for gaps. Like right now, the tech field's going through a lot of layoffs. So all of those people, like the actual tech, you know, the tech bros making a lot of money will be fine. But HR, marketing, you know, sales, the website, like people, other people are going to maybe have a little more trouble finding a job. So how can you... Um, do you have any suggestions for how to represent career gaps on a resume or cover in a cover letter? Sure. And cover letter can be a good place to do this as well. So it's it's a case-by-case -case basis. So with all my clients, it's going to vary how or if we even mention the gap. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's not really that long a gap, something like six months even. It's not a huge gap, you know. So sometimes you just don't have to say anything, okay? Um, another situation that may come up, especially in recent years, is like if you took time off for um, helping a family member through their illness, okay? So one option is that you put on your resume, caregiver, okay? And then you do a little line that says, you know, took time off from career to help family member through illness, which is now resolved. So what I'm doing there is I'm saying, you know, here's what was going on and it's now resolved and we're all good. What you can then do if you really want to, if you feel that like your resume doesn't have quite enough or if it's been a really long time, you can also, if there's anything that's relevant about your caregiving that's relevant to your new position, you can include accomplishments that have to do with that. So even though this is not a, a job that you were paid for, it 
it's okay. You can still put things on there. So say that you were, you know, juggling appointments for them and you had to, you know, figure out the logistics of travel and things like that. If that is relevant to the position that you're going for, you know, maybe like an administrative position or something like a, maybe an administrative assistant, more like something like that, then maybe that's relevant, okay? But you don't have to actually give away a lot of information. So it's up to you what you wanna say, how much you wanna say. Um, another one that honestly has come up a lot, and I think that some of your listeners will really relate to this, if you took time off for your own mental health, then that's okay to say as well. You can still say that you were a caregiver. You can still say that you took time off to help a family member with their, um, their illness, which is now resolved. You're your own family member. So it's a little technicality, but it does work. And I have had that before where people just needed a few years off because they just could not work. They were going through something and it's fine. I've done it before and it totally worked. Um, you know, and then there's other situations like parenthood or, you know, a not so relevant survival job, things like that. You know, you can really choose how much you want to say. You might include that job on there if it was something that was kind of like sidetracked and you just had to take a job to survive. You can include it on there, but you don't have to go into detail. If there's nothing relevant there, you don't have to go into detail. You can just have it on there to show that you were working during that time. If they ask, you can say, you know, listen, things got a little tough economically and I had to take a little detour, but I am so excited to be back and working in this capacity and then just go on with what you can do for that. So that helps in the interview too. You know, if you do feel, and this is one of the parts in an interview where people can kind of like get very stressed out about what people are going to ask them. If they do ask, you just touch on it briefly, just like you did in your resume. And then you deflect and you look forward. You say, oh, I'm so excited that I can now be back in the industry. And, you know, I'm really excited about the initiative that you have for this. Just keep going. And most of the time, they won't even notice that you changed the subject. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's really exciting. So, you know, it's a little bit of a strategy throughout all of this. But um, remember that you are not obligated to tell everybody your life story. And you don't have to touch on the things that you don't really want to touch on. Great advice. Because when you're interviewing, it's a two-way street. It's not just about yeah. them you know, trying to find out if you're a good fit, you also want to know if they're a good fit. So depending on their level of interest in this stuff. Yeah, and a lot of times, like, a... they just don't really know how to be good interviewers because, again, it's just like writing resumes. It's like, a lot of us are not interviewing all that often. Even people who are hiring managers in libraries might not be, like, interviewing all the time and maybe just never really learned how to do it all that well, right? So sometimes you just have to take control of the interview yourself and just kind of direct them in the way that you want to go. What suggestions can you give librarians who want to go into business for themselves? So I started writing this and then I realized I had like way too many. So I'm going to try to limit it to <laughs> just a few because I've learned, you know, you learn by doing and you learn by failing and, you know, it, it all works out in the end. So number one, let go of perfectionism. I put on off so many things because I was, thinking, oh, well, I want, when I launch this, I want it to be perfect. When I write this social media post, you know, talking about my service, I want it to be perfect. Of course, I want it to be perfect. And it's not going to be perfect. You know, I'm not going to get it right the first time. I'm not probably not going to get it right the 50th time. But overall, I am confident that, you know, what I do, the services I provide, I'm doing the absolute best that I can using the resources that I have. And um, so that's kind of why I just have to go with. Um, and number two, things that are not important to spend your money on at first when you're doing startup, a logo. You can make one on Canva, okay? And also my business changed from Copy Edit Clean to King Career Services because I didn't know I was gonna become a resume writer, you know, career professional. So don't spend a ton of money on that stuff because you don't know how it's going to go. Um, something you do wanna spend money on is a good contract. Whenever you're working for yourself, you need a good contract. Handshake agreements are almost destined to end in tragedy, mostly for you. And um, you know, even when I work with family and friends, which I don't do all that often, but I still have them sign a contract and go through my entire process exactly as I would with somebody I've never met before, just because it guarantees for both of us that we're gonna be very clear on what's covered, what's not, 
you know, how the payment works, all that kind of stuff. It protects everyone. And I've never had any family or friends be like, really, you have to sign a contract? No, they're all like, okay, that's great. You're in business, sure. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is that when you're starting out, the tendency, if you're doing any sort of, you know, business where you have a service is to do it for free because you feel like, oh, I don't have any experience. I need to legitimize myself. I did this a little bit in the beginning. So I will fully admit because I was not confident in myself. Even though I knew I had good skills, I just was not confident in myself because I hadn't been proven. Um, if you do do that, don't let it be for more than a couple projects because you, you have to make money and you do have expertise, even if you don't think you do. Um, so you, you can just, you know, if you need to start off small, start off small and then keep raising your prices. So for example, I will tell you when I first edited a 200 page dissertation, I did it for $350 because at the time that sounded like a lot of money to me. So I was like, okay, that's probably fine. Um, that's probably enough. And also like kind of sounds like too much. Nowadays, I would be charging thousands for that because a dissertation, especially 200 pages, is a lot of work, so much work. So, you know, just kind of know what you're worth and also know when it's time to raise the prices. Um, and then that leads to my last one. So know that if, when you work on your own, and this is something that might be kind of different than a lot of us are used to because as librarians, public service professionals, we help whoever comes in right? That's kind of our job. Like we help whoever's in front of us. With business, the kind of nice thing is that not everyone is my ideal client. I only really want to work with my ideal clients, especially because I'm not doing this full time. I'm doing this in my free time. So I want to make sure that the people I work with are as close to my ideal client as possible. And I don't need to help everyone, okay? If I can't help somebody because they can't afford my price or we're just not like a great personality fit or something, that's fine. I can still help them by giving them resources. I can tell them, oh, here's a free resource or here's a whole directory of other resume writers. And, or, you know, here's somebody I know in your specific industry. I can still help them, but I don't have to be the one to help them. So that's a really great and also hard thing about being in business for yourself is realizing that part of it. I'm just gonna add two things. That list is, is really, really good. And those are really the important ones, I think. Um, as far as, like I had a freelance research business and when I was starting out, a couple of people, not too many, but a couple of people kind of implied that I was charging too much because I was starting out. And I said, well, I'm not starting out in research. Mm -hmm. I'm starting out in having a business. So, I mean, I've been doing research for a long time. So you're paying for my years of experience. You're not paying for the years I've been in a business. Exactly. So that I think that's important, an important distinction to remember. I hear that a lot with photographers where people are like looking for a wedding photographer just starting out. Well, just because they're just starting out, they're probably not new to photography. Mm -hmm. And P.S. If it's your wedding, you probably don't want someone who doesn't have any experience. Right. You're looking for someone cheap because you can't yeah. find anyone to do it for free. Um, the thing about the logo, I have no graphic design skills at all. My logo on my podcast is a picture. It's just a picture of like, I have mammoth sunflowers I grow every year. It's just a cool picture of one of my sunflowers and you throw some letters on it. I spent entirely too much time on figuring that out. And I was like, this is just too easy. Find a picture, put some letters on it. It doesn't matter. Exactly. You know, for a podcast, it's so small. No one's going to really analyze it. So if you're doing a logo that you're going to put on things, it may be different, but depending on what you leave the logo for and just find a picture you took then you have the rights to it and you don't have to worry about anyone else having the same logo if it's your own picture. Exactly. And almost nobody's going to look at a logo and decide to work with you based on your logo. <laughs> no. They're going to look no. at other things, hopefully, about you. So, you know, it's an important thing later on, but it's not the most important thing at first. And I get that it is, it's sort of a reflection of your ideas, and but it's not really, like you said, a make or break, you know, exactly. make or break, a make or break thing. Um, so why did you go to library school? And based on your career so far, does that reasoning still hold? Well, as I mentioned, I kind of knew from when I was 16 that libraries were going to be my future. So I also kind of knew that, you know, in order to become a children's librarian, which was basically what my pinnacle of my career I thought would be, and I didn't think I would reach it until much later in life. So 
I was like, okay, well, I need to go to library school. And at first I went to school for teaching. So I thought at some point, okay, I'll get a teaching job and then maybe they'll help me pay for my master's for library, maybe not. But, you know, nothing went to plan, which was fine. It all worked out great. So um, I ended up getting a job um, at the medical library at Drexel University. And as part of that, they did pay for my master's. So I got extremely lucky there. Um, so shortly after that, I did get my dream job as the children's librarian at the same library where I worked since I was 16. And I never stopped working there um, from when I was 16 through college. Even when I was working at Drexel, I was still working at the, just because I was like crazy and young and had lots of energy and figured, why not? I can have two jobs at once. Um, a lot of privilege there that I was able to do that and that, you know, I chose to work two jobs. But it worked out because I think then it really helped them see that like I was a good fit for that position. Um, plus, I just really like school. I love learning. I still love learning. So I'm always looking to collect, you know, certificates and all that sort of thing. Um, so even though I'm not working in libraries now and truthfully may not work in libraries again in the same way, I'm really happy I got the degree. Um, I would not say that everything that I learned in library school was relevant to my actual career. I think that it's usually the combination of what you learn in library school and the actual experience, boots on the ground with patrons in front of your face asking you for the strangest things um, that is really what kind of helps you become good at library work. Um, I did learn some handy skills like grant writing, which I have used not in my day job, but actually I'm on the board at a local community theater. And so I've used some of those skills to write grants. And I kind of remembered like some of the stuff I learned in library school about that. Um, and, you know, the thing is like, even though I'm not a librarian now and may not be one again, you know, for some time, I will always consider myself a librarian. So it was just worth it for me. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes people, if they're going away from library work, they might feel like, oh, it was such a waste or like I'm a failure for not like going through with it or maybe I should have just stuck with it because I did all that stuff in library school. Truly our careers are so cumulative that you're going to take your library self with you into whatever job you go into. You know, you heard me talk about how I'm using those research skills to check Fun Fact Friday facts. And actually one of the projects that I proposed to my new employer was how about I create some sort of repository where I can put together a list of websites that have pretty verifiable facts. So that way our writers don't have to waste time looking on all these like funfacts.com that you know might not actually be facts. So you know, you, you're going to take your library self into whatever career you do next. So you're always going to be librarian. So, you know, even if you feel like library school was kind of getting further away from what you're doing, you know, just hold on to that and know that it was all worth it. Well, and I think I agree with what you're saying because our skills are our skills, no matter yeah. where we're using them. And every once in a while, you'll see like, I know on, on, online will have some kind of like profile of somebody about what their career or their job is. And I would always go, that's a library job. That guy doesn't realize it, but he has a library job because those are librarian skills. Like our skills are a lot of people's skills. They just don't, they don't connect it. That's yeah. why everyone should be listening to this podcast. They would be more educated on what our skills are by listening to this podcast. <laughs> so thank you for saying that. Uh, so where can people find your business on social media? Such great tips. I'm sure you'll want a lot of people, you'll get a lot of clients who are oh, listening to this. Listen, I'm just happy even if they get something out of what we talked about today. But my website is kingcareerservices.com. Um, probably the best way to stay up to date with me and get other little tips about your career and your resume is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I invite all of your listeners to do so. I do have a slight caveat. So when you send a connection request to me, click the three dots button um, next to connect and then click add note. So in that, you're just going to briefly let me know that you heard about me through um, the library link over podcast. And, you know, maybe if you have like a little short question about something that we talked about, or if you just want to like say, oh, you know, this was a little takeaway, um, you know, or just let me know like what your situation is, if you're a job hunter, or whatever the case may be. I promise this is not to feed my ego. Okay. 
this is just good LinkedIn etiquette. And I like to practice what I preach. So this is exactly what I did when I was job searching or making connections with people. Um, this way, when we talk in the future, maybe you have a question for me down the line or we know somebody or whatever the case may be, I have a record of us talking. I know why we connected at some point. And that kind of helps me to frame my answer for you or like just kind of pay more attention to the fact that I got a message from you and want to respond to it. So that was a very long explanation, but feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Make sure to add that note just so I kind of know um, what, we're, what we're connected for. Um, and then, you know, you'll also be able to see when I launch some courses next year, which is my big 2023 goal. So, Great. you know, not everybody can work with me, you know, one-on-one -on -one just because of my time limits and budgetary things and all that. So what I'm doing is I'm creating a course um, about, the first one will be all about the job description and how to use those keywords in the job description to make your accomplishment bullets, to make your resume targeted and branded for your future employer. So that's the first one. And then there are a whole bunch more that I'm developing that are actually just for librarians who are looking to either move up or out of libraries into different careers. So there'll be all sorts of topics and lots of opportunities for you to um, take a course if you are interested. Well, I will definitely be sharing that information on my social media for my podcast. That's, that's really good. Ooh, looking forward to that. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know this episode is going to be listened to multiple times by the same person, because sometimes I hear from people that say, this episode, I've listened to it two or three times to make, you know, just because it's so good. So I think this is going to be one of those. So thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you to Ellison King for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. Thank you to my listeners who've been so supportive of my podcast. Let me know what you think. I love hearing how valuable you are finding the content that my guests and I are creating. Please comment on the episodes on the librarianlinkover.com or on social media on Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening.